Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, we have big announcements from the club this week about the 2022 roster. Both John Morrissey from USL Tactics and Kelly McCarthy are with me to talk about the players, what we're missing, and what the priorities might be for General Manager Bobby Dooley, Coach Chance, and the assistant coaches as they prepare for the 2022 season. Big shout out and congratulations to Santi Moore and Aidan Quinn for making the 2021 USL O-League first team and to James Musa who was named to the second team. We'll kick off the show today with a review of the USL Championship Final from November 28th where Orange County beat Tampa Bay Rowdies 3-1. I'll have Kelly on for the game roundup and later John Morrissey from USL Tactics will be with us to give us that tactical analysis. Enjoy the show and thanks for listening and let's keep that sense of community going throughout the offseason by subscribing to this podcast, your podcast, The Fan Experience, by sending us your questions, thoughts and ideas at thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC and the invitation is always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. We're going to kick things off today with the game review, but before we start, who does a fateful Rising fan root for in this game? Our local rival, Orange County, or a rival in the East Tampa Bay Rowdies, who caused us to lose the opportunity to bring home the cup in 2020, and who beat us earlier this year? There's no good answer. Check it out. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to the fan experience. Next Rising family, on Sunday, November 28th, we saw the underdogs Orange County SC from the Pacific Division, what many have called the weakest division in the league, beat the team that finished with the top spot in the regular season, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Although Orange County finished the season strong, being the only team to win their last five games of the season, they hobbled to the final, scoring only two goals in their three playoff games, compared to 10 goals scored by the Rowdies. Orange County had to go to penalties in two of their three playoff games while Tampa Bay Rowdies won all of their games decisively, never going to penalties. Nobody expected Orange County to win this game, which was an away game for them, in a very hostile Tampa Bay home stadium. Nobody expected Orange County to come anywhere near scoring three goals, but this is football and anything can happen on any given night. The final score was 3-1 to Orange County in regular time. No extra time needed, no penalty kicks. They crossed the line, picked up the cup and their golden star and the celebrations began. Kelly McCarthy is with me to talk through the game and I'm delighted to have John Morrissey on the show a little later on to give us his insights. Kelly, welcome to the show. First of all, I need to know, who were you writing for in that game? (laughs) That was a tough call. I didn't know until the opening whistle blew who I was going to be rooting for because of course, the truth is I love to hate both teams. So as it turns out on the evening, heard the whistle, instantly wanted Orange County to win. I shocked myself, but to be honest with you, I was not expecting them to win and I always love the underdog. 
Okay, well, I think half of our listeners just hung up right now. So uh, for those of you that are, that are still here, there was one surprise in the lineup, and that was Tampa Bay Rowdies. They didn't have their goalkeeper. They had their backup goalie that I think only had played once before with them. So what was going on there? Yeah, well, that's a really unfortunate story, and it's true. Um, the Tampa Bay Rowdies' normal goalkeeper, who's exceptional, he won the Golden Glove Award, hurt himself in the celebration of the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's actually, you can watch video of it. And, you know, normally I wouldn't do that. I don't like to see people get injured, but I did check it out. And basically, he just kind of does what I would call the Drogba celebration and comes down on his knee wrong. You know, it looks like he comes down on the side of his foot and it impacts his knee and he sustains an injury that he can't come back from in time for the actual cup final. Now, I don't know if he requires surgery. I don't know if there's going to be long lasting impacts beyond this season, but that's certainly really unfortunate. You never want to see that. You never want to see someone get injured at all, but it's certainly not unnecessarily during a celebration, having a little bit of fun. You know, it wasn't like he was doing anything inappropriate, like (laughs) jumping off the roof, celebrating, you know, he just kind of did a little did a little dance as it were. So terribly sorry to see that. And in fairness, the keeper that substituted in for him while inexperienced playing with the Rowdies had some really amazing saves. Definitely a fantastic effort on his end. Okay. So let's get into the game. Kelly, the, um, the first 20 minutes or, or so we were, were pretty exciting. We saw Tampa Bay Rowdies take the upper hand and they dominated possession, and most of that possession was in the Orange County half. And I thought that a goal was imminent. I was thinking to myself, yep, this is what we expected. This is Tampa Bay Rowdies. They earned a penalty kick after Orange County defender Kevin Alston fouled uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies player Jan Ekra in the penalty box. This was right around the 18th minute. They they got a penalty from that, and Sebastian Guenzadi, one of their top goal scorers, stepped up, um, but was unable to convert. So Orange County are still in the game. An incredible save by uh, Patrick Rukowski. Absolutely. This was crazy. And you're right. It was you know, it was the Tampa Bay Rowdy show for sure in the first 20 minutes, absolutely supported by their fantastic fans, sold out stadium in Alang. It was crazy. You could barely hear the commentating on top of that crowd. So it was exciting. It was the assault that we expected to see from Tampa Bay, but credit to the OC defense who got them to the championship. And, you know, that penalty kick was an absolute momentum shift. Um, Rakowski has been incredible. He is not someone known to the league prior to this season. As you mentioned, he's a German goalkeeper. And yeah, it was just, he was able to read the play. He absolutely sprung off the line, tons of power and force. Guenzadi, you know, is exceptional at taking these kicks. It's part of what he does. He is one of the USL's absolute top goal scorers for the season. And he just had the placement. He didn't necessarily have the force and the keeper read it right. So it was an amazing save. It shouldn't have taken the wind out of the Rowdy's sails, um, but it absolutely did lift up OC, you know, and it should be mentioned that when the Rowdies score first at home, 
they never, ever lose. So it certainly would have been a different story had that penalty kick gone in. Either way, Rakowski lifted the team in a major way. Wow, it was a tangible shift after that happened. The first goal came just seven minutes later in the 25th minute. Tampa Bay Rowdies were playing the ball around the back, trying to make space in the midfield and draw the Orange County players forward. Jordan Scarlett, a key part of the Rowdies' three-man defence team, attempted a pass to one of the other, other defenders. And in doing so, he just laid it on for OC's top goal scorer, Ronaldo Damos. He saw the gift come his way. He smiled and just buried the ball into the open goal. Kelly. Yeah, I mean, buried isn't even necessarily the right verb there. He tapped it in. Now, it took composure, for sure. It took being in the right place, which he's known for both of those things. But other than that, it was a pretty easy tap-in for him. Now, as you mentioned, yeah, that was an error for the Tampa Bay defender. And I guess he's not really known for these types of errors. But the goalkeeper dropped, you know, came out of the goal to drop behind him to receive that supporting, you know, to provide support behind him for that pass back. And unfortunately, that defender just decided to cross his now empty goal, pass it to Forrest Lasso, who really couldn't have expected that. And Damas was there. So, you know, it was it was an unfortunate error. And it's not the type of error that you can make when the Rowdy's offense rests squarely on Ronaldo Damas' shoulders and he's always ready. This was a tap-in. And once again, on the heels of, or it's probably the wrong term, on the on the fingers of that save by Rakowski, followed by this goal, it was a one to punch to the Rowdies and to the Rowdies fans. Absolutely. So Kelly, as I was watching the game, kind of stepping back from a 30,000 foot view, so to speak, I felt that the the OC just didn't have a whole lot, lot of luck in the midfield. As they would attack from the back, as they would try to play it from the back, they never got very far. And they ended up with these long balls over the top. Well, an exception to that came right around the 38th minute when OC won the ball in midfield. Eric Calvillo carried the ball down the right wing for OC. He crossed it toward the penalty spot where he knew Ronaldo Damas would be waiting. Damas had time to basically flip the ball up and volley it low and hard, beating two defenders and the goalie. Kelly, that was a thing of beauty. Oh, it really was. And I mean, this this looks like other goals we've seen from Damas, including recent goals in the in the postseason. You know, the thing about him is if he only is allowed and has the time for two touches, he'll get it done in two touches. You know, and in this case, his first touch was not that clean. It doesn't settle it. It doesn't calm it. It doesn't put the ball in the right position for him to take a shot. It basically just gives him enough possession to get the job done. You know, it's kind of a bouncing ball that goes back up and he just forces, you know, forces himself to hit the half volley, which he's incredible out. And it's not just the fact that he's able to get this done in two touches with a bad first touch. It's the placement. You know, he doesn't serve himself up that nicely and it doesn't matter. He's still going to hit the corner of the netting. And I mean, he's got three players around him. He's got that tough first touch. He's in a lot of traffic and he can't see the corner that he's going for. And he still buries it there. I mean, you really don't, you 
you don't want to give him this much space and this much time. He wasn't given a lot of either, but it was still enough. And I'll tell you, Brian Oloski, I thought was going to be the intended target because he had more space around him and was calling for it. And I think he provided just enough distraction um, to give those defenders, you know, two, two options, not sure who to cover. And that was enough for Domus. And it was gorgeous. Yeah, I don't agree with you that it was a bad first touch. I think it was a beautiful first touch <laughs> that allowed him to get some real uh, power behind that shot. Anyway, moving on, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Last week, they came back from 2-0 down against Louisville. But Miko Kaningas on the Orange County team wasn't going to give them that opportunity this week. He added to the Orange County tally with a beautiful free kick that went to the left of the wall. The goalie scrambled, got a hand to it, but not enough. Into halftime, it's 3-0 to Orange County. We all need a stiff drink just to make sure that we can handle whatever is going to come in the second half. How are you feeling after that first half, Kelly? You know, I was really surprised to see that third goal. You know, I didn't think it was the nail in the coffin. As you mentioned, the Rowdies came back in the second half from a 2-0 deficit. And, you know, that made it 3-0. So that was pretty surprising. And I've got to say, Miko Kaningas had a fantastic game. Um, I mentioned these are two teams that I love to hate. That's a player that I love to hate. Miko Kaningas is good. He's solid. He's consistent. He also will get in your head. And you could see him doing this all night to the rowdies. You know, he'll kind of taunt. He's a bit of a monster. And this was beautifully placed. I mean, this was just a beautiful. I mean, you just want to watch this thing in slow motion because you can just see all the muscles of his legs engaging. It's hit with perfect placement and it's hurt with, it's hit with a lot of speed on it. And, you know, this is where we have to give credit to the Rowdy's goalkeeper. You know, he did get a hand to it, which is more than I think most people would have done. And I don't know, all I can say is this was either perfect placement or that wall was a little bit misplaced because I don't think the goalkeeper could really see this until it was too late. But yeah, at that point, moving into the half, it's three nil. I still think the Rowdies can do it, but they're probably headed into the locker room absolutely stunned at this point. And OC has to be feeling pretty good. And I'll tell you what, OC is not known for goal scoring, but they are known for not conceding many goals. So for me, as soon as they're up by three, now they have the advantage because statistically they're not going to let in three goals. So that defensive strength that they have um, now on the other side of the number of goals that they've scored, this is looking like a really good game for them. Great, Kelly. Hey, the only goal of the second half was from Tampa Bay Rowdies and it came in the 57th minute. It was a banger from Leo Fernandez. If you watch the replay on this, which I did several times, it was a melee in the box. There was pushing, there was pulling, there was shoving, there was punching, more like what you see in the wrestling ring. But if it hadn't been a goal right there, I think we were about to see a PK and I think they, they would have got a goal from that. Or maybe Patrick mm -hmm. Rukowski would have saved again who knows anyway on to the 88th minute Tampa Bay Rowdies scored again but it was offside so not allowed so that's the the end right there uh, there's no coming back from it 3-1 
OC wins. They've got the crown. They've got that golden star. And we're into the off season, looking forward to a fantastic 2022 season. Do you think it'll be a replay of the best of the Pacific Division and the best of the Atlantic Division? And actually, Kelly, I'm all wrong because we're, as far as I know, we're not going to have four divisions. We're going to have two divisions, two mm-hmm. conferences again, uh, back to that format next time. So do you think it'll be Tampa Bay Rowdies in the final? Well, yeah, I do. You know, all signs point to it. They've been extraordinarily strong. Obviously, we, we don't know what their roster is going to look like moving into 2022 yet, but we do know that they certainly have Uh, The precedent set, you know, they've been extremely strong in the last couple of years, and that tends to be how it is, you know, having that success, having those wins, um, having that Eastern Conference Cup, those things really are in your favor when it comes to recruitment. So, you know, it's a great stadium, great fans. Of course, it pains me to say that. (laughs) And now they've got some silverware. So I do think that they will be, you know, all signs pointing to them definitely being the team to be in the East. And who's going to take the West next year? Well, obviously Phoenix rising, but that's why I love talking football with you, Kelly. (laughs) And we'll be here to talk about it when it happens. Awesome. Thanks for coming on today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Phoenix Rising family, stick around. We're going to talk through the roster and John Morrissey from USL Tactics is with us to talk about that final game and give us his unique perspectives. Hey guys, this is Andre Rawls, goalkeeper with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we've got a new roster for 2022. John from USL Tactics is with us, and Kelly is here to talk through the different positions, who's signed, who hasn't signed, and what we might need looking forward. So John and Kelly, welcome to the show. Number one, we've got a goalie who's been with us for one season, Edward, otherwise known as Lalo Delgado. So is he a goalie that you would have confidence in going forward? Kelly, let's start with you. Sure. So of course, it's exciting to have him signed with us. Um, I think he's signed still from a two-year contract originally signed in April of 2021. You know, I'm unsure how I feel about him. I think this is one of the key positions, certainly for the roster. Um, We know he was never our first string, first choice goalkeeper. He's quite young at 23 years old. So, you know, while I'm not unexcited about him, I don't really see him being our first string goalkeeper moving into the 2022 season. So it's always nice to have options in that goalkeeper spot, but I'm assuming we're looking for a first string. That's just kind of my guess. That said, he made three appearances with Phoenix Rising in the 2021 season, and he conceded six goals in that time, keeping one clean sheet. Those are kind of his statistics from 2021. So um, as far as I know, he played for the Las Vegas Lights for a season prior to Phoenix Rising, and I just don't have much more information on him. We get to see him play up close and personal. Um, where was that Los Dos? And we did not win that match. <laughs> it was definitely the closest we've seen him play. And it was exciting. He seems like a great guy. Ooh, wasn't expecting so much silence after that. <laughs> We'll come back and talk about Las Vegas Lights again because we've got another player with LVL in their history. So, John, do you agree with Kelly there? We're on the lookout for another goalie? Absolutely. So I do the thing behind the scenes where I sort of run the numbers on goalkeepers, try to see where they're at value-wise. And granted, 
match with such a limited sample size, but he hit in the second percentile for goalie performance with Las Vegas, which you do have to keep in mind he was playing for Las Vegas. They tend to be a little bit awful, but for me, he pretty clearly projects as the backup, and you're going to be looking for somebody better to really fill that primary position, whether it is a return for roles or something like that. Okay, John, great. So let's let's leave that goalie role and, and let's move into defense. So we've signed a bunch of defenders, almost all. We've got Joey Farrell, Ryan Flood, James Musa, Niall Dunn, Darnell King, and Manuel Madrid. So um, I think we're pretty thrilled to have all of those back. Obviously, the left full back role, we had Tate Schmidt in there for most of the season. He's not back with us, so we don't know, um, you know whether, whether Coach Chance and uh, Bobby Dewey will be happy with Ryan Flood in that position or will, will they get another one. So let's take it through. Let's start with Joey Farrell. So, um, Kelly, uh, you're, you've always been a fan of Joey Farrell, and he's a big fan favorite. Yeah, Joey Farrell is amazing. I am so happy that they've announced his re-signing. Um, he's been with the club, I think, four years now. And, you know, we were introduced to him, obviously, in the center back position paired up with um, AJ Cochran. So that was a nice pairing. And he has since gone on to kind of fight for that spot in the 2021 season. We saw him with 19 starts and 24 total appearances. And he kind of had a battle for that position with Toby Adewale and then later on with Manuel Madrid, who has also still signed with Phoenix Rising. So um, he's been a pretty constant presence back there. There's been a lot of discussion about him early in the 2021 season and whether or not he was the right man for the job. And it turns out he really is, as we always felt that he would be. So I'm a big fan of his. Um, you know, there's a lot of notables. I think for me, one of the things that I love about him is he's great in the air. Um, he does wonderfully with aerial duels. He loves to score with his head. He always comes forward for corner kicks and scoring opportunities. And I think in this season, he's one goal, probably off a header, probably off a corner and, and two assists for the 2021 season. So um, I'm delighted that we have him back. What are your thoughts on him, Niall? Well, something that we like to say about Joey is that if there's a fight, he's probably going to be in the <laughs> middle of it, just to add a little bit of color there. So true. Yeah, he loves he, he loves to, to get involved in the heat. But yeah, Joey's a fantastic player. And I think that he's somebody that we've seen really grow with the club. He's been around for several seasons, came to us from Rochester Rhinos and um, and just has got better and better as the years have gone by. So as a, as a center back, Joey Farrell, I'm pretty comfortable with him. How about you, John? What do you think of Joey? Yeah, I think he's fantastic. I think he's someone who plays it pretty much in all league level, no matter what. And he gives you a little bit of flexibility in that he's such a capable player on the ball which is something that you don't necessarily find with everyone at the USL level. Um, I really think he can be the anchor for this team going forward at the back. And if I'm a Ryzen fan, I'm thrilled to be seeing him in the colors again. Great. Well, let's stick with that, that full back position. James Moose is back with us. Kelly James Musa, he's got MLS experience, first with Sporting Kansas City, then he came to Phoenix Rising, and we were waiting for him to be signed back with us for another season, and he just wasn't showing up. You know, there was no announcements from the club, and then we heard that he's gone to Minnesota United. So he spent a season with Minnesota United before he returned to us. 
And we just weren't sure if he was be, going to be playing defensive midfield or if he's going to be full back. So he's slotted in there in the full back position and he's been fantastic. Kelly, am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you know, when he initially, as you mentioned, played with Phoenix Rising, it was in that midfield position and he just didn't really stick on my radar much at that time. We were early fans of Phoenix Rising. So, you know, I'm not sure how many games I caught, but he just didn't leave a huge impression. And then back playing the center back position this year, he's been amazing. He has been a stalwart for our defense. I mean, I think he's been the most consistent player on our back line, definitely serving in a leadership capacity back there. Wonderful left foot. Um, just absolutely have loved, loved watching him play. And I mean, I think it would be challenging to say we've seen him grow because he has been so consistent since game one. But at the same time, you really have seen him increase sort of his comfort on the ball, as well as his leadership and communication in the back line. So very excited. I think him and Joey Farrell communicate well and play well together. So delighted to have him back. Definitely. John, something that you might not know about James Musa is that he's from New Zealand and he got capped with them three times. He also played in the EPL uh, with Fulham. So before he played with Sporting Kansas City, even, I'm pretty sure. So anything to add there about James Musa, John? No, I think it was summed up pretty well there. I I really like the partnership that he sort of forged with Farrell late on uh, in this last campaign. I think there are moments where that pairing can sort of lose concentration, maybe give up an opportunity that they shouldn't. But overall, they're two of the top center backs in the USL. And I think that Musa especially really brings a level of awareness. Like you talk about the uh, international experience. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And he's someone that I, again, would really expect to contribute at an all-league sort of level again, looking at next season. And I I think something else, just a random comment that he adds as well to our back line is just height. You know, generally speaking, we don't have a ton of height on the back line for Phoenix Rising. So that's always nice. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's stick with that position. Manuel Madrid, he came to us this season. He's played with Liga MX. So what, what impression has he left with you? Are you happy that he's back? Yes, I am happy that he's back. You know, we haven't seen a ton from him. He was signed mid-season, I think in July. You know, he, I don't want to say he had a rough start, but we just didn't see much from him. And it seemed like he was sort of moving into full fitness as we moved through the season. I think we signed him kind of when there was some ambiguity between Joey Farrell and Adewole in that center back position. So we picked up Manuel Madrid, maybe to close that gap. And then Farrell came into full fitness as well. So, you know, we didn't necessarily see him to his full capacity. Of course, we don't know what Chance's intentions were for him, but he definitely continued to improve as we saw him more enter the lineup for Phoenix Rising. And unfortunately, I can't come call to memory the exact game, but I do remember an amazing save from him um, off that back line. You know, he kind of jumped into the goal to make a save at one of our games late in the season, um, which definitely endeared him to me. So I think he's fantastic. He's got a lot of size. You know, he's a big physical presence, which we just mentioned was kind of missing in the back line for Phoenix. So I think he definitely adds that in terms of just like literally a large presence, which 
is always an asset. So there are two positions in that centre back role, and we've actually got four players signed. We've talked about Farrell, Musa, Madrid, and then there's the other one, a favourite of ours on the fan experience right here, and that's Niall Dunn. So Niall mm-hmm. Dunn came to us from the academy. We haven't seen a whole lot of him on the field this year, um, but delighted that he's signed again for another year. We d- we're delighted to have him because there was definitely talk about him going to straight to MLS. So we're delighted that he's here. So we've got four in the back vying for those two positions, John, those two fullback positions, assuming that we're going to stick with four at the back. So, you know, two um, cornerbacks and and then the, the two centre-backs. Do we have enough um, for that role, so we've got those four options: Farrell, Musa, Dan, and Madrid. Is that more, or if you're Rick Shantz, are you going to be looking for more bodies? Yeah, no. Just thinking about sort of those central positions, that's a foursome that I would feel pretty confident about going into the year. You maybe want to add a player with some flexibility, sort of a utility type who can plug into the role in an emergency. But there feels like a good balance, especially if this is the year where Dunn really breaks into the team to a certain extent. Obviously, I've, I've spoken already about how much I like that Musa Farrell pairing. Um, the Madrid point about the height, that's really the thing for me. He, in again, limited time, showed some really good numbers in terms of his aerial impact. He's obviously got that six foot three frame. He's someone that I would trust to fill in in case of an emergency. So you've got the three really solid options. You've got the sort of younger player who you're trying to bleed into the team a little bit. It's a, it's a spot where I would feel strongly and I don't think it'll be the main area of concern so far. Okay, let's move to the flanks. We've got Ryan Flood on the left and Darnell King on the right. Um, the more people that we speak to, the more they tell us, oh, my favorite player actually is Darnell King back there in the, in the right fullback <laughs> position. Phenomenal player, played with Tampa Bay Rowdies, played with San Antonio FC, played with Nashville SC. So Kelly, he's a big favorite of ours. So you're delighted to have him back, I'm sure. Absolutely delighted to have him back. We've obviously forgiven him for playing for the Rowdies, I think, for two seasons. He had 87 appearances with them. Um, And you're right. I mean, my notes include fan favorite by a lot. So he's fantastic. Um, He is, you know, I think when it comes to that back line, what you want the most is consistency. We talked about that with Musa. I mean, that is Darnell King. And we have sung his praises absolutely all season. He is so consistent. He is not quote unquote flashy, but he is incredibly fit. And he also played striker or in the forward line in college to our understanding, which is so cool. You know, we've seen him be able to move up the field. He's got, I would have said a great instinct, but obviously it comes from experience playing in that forward line. Um, He has three goals on the season for this year and one assist. So, you know, he's got some versatility, but then he's just such a completely solid defender. So I I couldn't be more excited to have him again. He's definitely not that we should pick favorites, but my favorite player. He can put that feather in his cap. <laughs> John Darnell King over on the right side, and he's got some combination play where he'll have an overlapping run with solo, and you know he, he's he'll be running toward goal. And 
I wonder if we're asking too much, like Kelly and I are shouting from the sidelines, take a shot, take a shot. We feel that he doesn't take enough shots. So John, are we asking too much of him to be taking more shots on goal? For me, King is really an interesting case. I almost worry about the age he's getting to in terms of that role that you're wanting him to play, where just innate to this rising system, the fullbacks are really high up the pitch, really getting into the box. I do think there's a validity to what you're saying where he could offer a little bit more, but he constantly has to be balancing that need to get back just because this team commits so many bodies forward. And I mean, he's getting up there. Like I said, you, he needs the legs at this point. I would almost look for a supplement just to be able to spell him in certain matches against weaker sides to really liberate him to go all out in every match. Not that he doesn't. He's one of the most impactful effort players that you'll ever find in this league. And I think that's why you and the rest of the Rising Faithful love him so much. But I think there really is something to what you're saying in that maybe he could be a bit more impactful in the games he's playing just in terms of those shots, for instance. That's an awesome point that John makes. And I think as well, one of the things that will be part of this conversation as we finish up the roster discussion is, you know, who we're missing, what types of positions we're missing. And I think that's part of why we want Darnell King to score so much is because sometimes we're missing the person in the center of the park that Darnell King could cross it to. You know, I think we could see his assists being higher if we had someone more impactful in the, in the center of the pitch. So we'll get to that. Let's move over to the left slide <laughs> side. Fladinho, um, Ryan Flood. Um, he is an Arizona native. He played with FC Arizona, and that's the first time that I saw him on the field. And he was, they were playing FC Arizona, were playing Phoenix Rising. It was an open cup game. And he was the player of the night. He was better than anybody on either team. He was a fantastic player. I was delighted to see him join us this year and delighted that he's back for us. So um, I'm just going to throw it open to you guys. Is he is he going to get the starting position that he was fighting for this year? And so far, no competition for that left fullback spot. Um, I don't understand exactly where his outages are as a player. I mean, he's obviously young. He lacks a little bit of experience. You just mentioned, you know, he played for FC Arizona. That might be the only thing in his professional background at this point. So is it just a lack of experience that made um, Tate Schmidt the favorite over Ryan Flood time after time once Tate Schmidt joined the roster. So I'm not sure. He definitely was a fan favorite. Part of that had to do with him being a native Arizonan, but I thought he felt extremely solid. Now he's very left-footed. I think we heard Devin Kerr talk about sort of the sideline being his best friend and him having some trouble when his back is, you know, away from the goal. So when he gets turned around, he gets turned around. So, I mean, these are things, these are some of the challenges that we've heard others express, but I haven't really seen it. You know, he doesn't have a ton of size, but neither did Tate Schmidt. So I wasn't entirely sure why we saw Rick Chance go to Schmidt over flood time and time again in the 2021 season. So when it comes to my untrained eye, not really having even statistics to look at, I'm delighted to have him back. I think he's really strong. He's played as a left winger before. I think he's a complete package. So I'd be interested to hear what um, John has to say about him. Yeah, I was somewhat baffled by the fact that he was getting a little bit less time late on in the season obviously I don't watch every minute of every rising match but if you I mean based on what I've seen 
based on the numbers where he rates among the league leaders for fullbacks in terms of his shots, in terms of his forward passing. He's someone who's really bright and can um, fill in in that fullback spot in a, maybe a rotational sense, like I was sort of talking about with King, where he can at least be a contributor to this system. And just the way he fell out of favor was sort of baffling in that sense. But I mean, you spoke to the left footedness, and I don't even think that's much of an issue. Okay. Just because, I mean, if you think about Santi Moore on that wing who can cut in so strongly, having someone right. who can whip in across with a strong left foot is really valuable. So he's someone who I would think, given that they're retaining him, he should get more of a role as he did early in the year. But I'm almost a little bit confused on what's going on, just lacking that intel of yeah. the tactical discussions internally. Yeah. yeah. And my feeling when I see something like this, my feeling is that it's an attitude issue, you know, or a personality challenge simply because I can't really back up these decisions with what you're seeing on the field. Um, but I don't think Ryan Flood has any attitude issues because he is so composed, calm, and positive when he's on the pitch. You know, again, these are just things we're observing as fans. <laughs> we don't even have the best seats in the house. So I'm not trying to act like we're seeing anything that other people aren't. But, you know, you can kind of tell when a player has um, challenges remaining composed or, you know, gets a lot of yellow cards or whatever. And um, we didn't see that either. So it's it's a bit of a mystery for sure. But I'm glad, John, you know, you're seeing the same thing because he seems like he has a lot to contribute and he's young, which is nice because he has plenty of time to develop. Great job, guys. Great, great conversation. Let's move to the midfield. So we'll put the defense behind us again. It's Delgado, Faro, Flood, Musa, Dunn, King, and Madrid. Moving to the midfield, we've got um, somebody who is new to us this year, Jonathan Levine. He played for FC Tulsa in 2017, and I mentioned we'd be back talking about Las Vegas Lights. He played for the Lights in 2019 and 2020, so we picked him up this year. Kelly, we didn't see a whole lot of him. Did you have any uh, any takeaways from what you did see of him on the field? Not really. I mean, honestly, we just didn't see enough to, to know. Um, I think he only had two appearances, possibly, with Phoenix Rising this year. So, unfortunately... We don't, I don't know him well enough to really comment. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, John? Can you bring anything to the table on that one? I really can't. He didn't get a ton of playing time in Las <laughs> Vegas either. I mean, I'm vaguely confused on why he's back, but hey, good depth, I suppose. Right. Right. And I can say the same for Ivan Gutierrez. Just didn't see a whole lot of Ivan. Um, he came to us from Los Dos. And um, Kelly, do you have anything to bring to the, to the table about Ivan? No, I mean, he he sort of the same thing. One thing that, that confuses me is that he played left winger for us. I mean, that's where we always saw him slotted. Um, he has nine appearances with Phoenix Rising, no goals, no really other statistics to call upon. He's listed as a midfielder. So I don't know if we maybe saw him playing out of position which sort of accounts for why he wasn't necessarily at his best or didn't necessarily bring any statistics um, forward. And maybe we just had so much depth in that midfield that they were looking for other places to play him. So uh, no, I, I always liked him. I always felt like he was pretty aggressive when he was on the field. He definitely rose up. He always up-leveled the play, but he just didn't get a lot of minutes. Um, right. I did see in his history that he played for the under-17 Mexican national team. So he obviously has some pedigree and he obviously has some experience playing for Mexico. So I think there's talent there. We just haven't necessarily seen it come to fruition. 
Great. So not a lot to say about Levine and Gutierrez, but we do have a lot to say about some of the other midfielders. For example, Arturo Rodriguez is back with us. He played with that amazing North Texas SC team in 2019 that had Ronaldo Damos, Ricardo Pepe and Jonathan Gomez. And he had a fantastic year with us. Right, Kel? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about Arturo is that, you know, he was fighting for his spot, for for a starting spot on the Phoenix Rising lineup. So, you know, he's only 22 years old. Obviously, he's still got plenty of years in front of him. But that said, we had so much depth this year that he was kind of fighting originally with John Beccaro, uh, with Aiden Quinn, you know, so he really was more of a sub, sort of a super sub for Phoenix Rising. And that said, he had 28 appearances, three goals and five assists. And I just want to say all of those goals and assists seem to come at times when they were really needed. So the thing that I think about and a lot of people think about when it comes to Arturo Rodriguez is just sort of those clutch moments, that composure, especially for someone who's so young, really knowing how to step up when needed. That to me is the hallmark of a great player when you feel like they're always coming through when the team is down. So he's absolutely outstanding. One thing I noticed in his history, forgive me for the background noise here. um, You mentioned he played for North Texas. He was then transferred to the Real Monarchs and that was for the 2020 season. And then their, their season was canceled due to COVID. So he returned back to North Texas. And I don't really know exactly how that would have happened, but that just kind of felt like it made sense for him, you know, just kind of a player that's just going to go wherever he can to get minutes. You know, you can just feel how hungry he is. And that's one of the things that Phoenix Rising really needs is people who are hungry and hungry for goals. So he's perfect for our team. Yeah, John, Arturo Rodriguez, we're delighted to have him on board. Did he impress you? Very much so. He was someone who um, I actually took a look at in the offseason in terms of the numbers he was putting up in League One, where he was basically the MVP of the league. And he carried over that performance into his... uh, playing time with Phoenix. If you look at the numbers by my expected assists uh, stat, he was the best central midfielder in all of USL in terms of expected assists per 90. He's a really creative player. He can drive play on the dribble. He's a really bright option. And I think um, he's going to be figuring in hugely into that midfield role, especially given some of the other departures that have gone down. John, next we're going to move to another midfielder, Aiden Quinn. So Aiden came to us from Orange County, and he made no secret of the fact that he was here to collect some silverware. And uh, sadly for him, it didn't happen this year. Before he was with Orange County, he was with FC Cincinnati. Before that, he was with Louisville, uh, Louisville City. And before that, he was with Orlando City before they moved to MLS. So uh, has Aiden Quinn been a good move for us this year, Kelly? Yes, incredibly good. Uh, 28 starts, 30 appearances six goals and 11 assists. And I will say, you know, he was definitely expected to provide those assists. You know, that's kind of part of his role is, you know, distributing the ball forward and he definitely excels there. But in terms of those goals, once again, kind of thinking about him in, in the same way that I just talked about Arturo Rodriguez, you, you really felt like those goals came in key moments for the team. You know, times when our forward line wasn't able to convert, he came through with some big goals. So that always kind of makes you more fond of a player feeling like they come through for you in those situations. And he did score in his first appearance with Phoenix Rising 
um, against San Diego. I think, I think that was his first appearance. So totally awesome way to debut with the team. And he's been really a solid presence ever since. Um, I believe I mentioned this in a podcast before. I don't know if this statistic still stands up, but we had heard that he was the player in the USL who has the most yellows. That's right. um, which is really <laughs> an exciting statistic. And he didn't get very many this year. I didn't write down how many he had, but, you know, keep it up. Good to see an yeah. aggressive player. So, and other than that, you know, he's just been incredible in terms of taking corner kicks, you know, sort of in set plays, free kicks. He is outstanding placement and vision. So, yeah, so happy to have him back. He is definitely one of our favorite players for sure. You mentioned that he scored in his first appearance with us. And if I remember correctly, all three mid, mid, midfielders scored in that game. So, John, we're delighted to have Aiden back. Anything you'd like to add about Aiden Quinn? At the end of the year, I put together a sort of team of the season type of thing. And for me, I had to include Aiden Quinn. I thought the impact that he brought to this midfield was absolutely immense. And he really does it both ways with that box to box sort of mentality. And I think that's what's so important about the role that he brings in this midfield. There really was kind of the setup where you had Lambert as the holding midfielder. You'd have someone like an Arturo Rodriguez or John Vaccaro in the more attacking role. And Quinn is the glue that keeps everything together in the middle. He'll step up and uh, shut down a counterattack. He'll kind of stand outside of the box and make a late run offensively or collect a second ball to really help recycle possession but he's got a wicked shot of his own. He's a really good creator. He just brings so much to the table. And I think the role that he'll continue to play next season is vital to the success of Phoenix. So we've got one more midfielder to talk about, and that's Luis Sejas. Um, Luis, he played for his uh, national team, Venezuela. Um, 69 caps he has for playing with Venezuela. He played in the first division for the Colombian team Santa Fe with over 200 appearances there. So we didn't know a whole lot about him before he showed up on our roster. And um, he's, he, I I can remember one goal that he scored. I don't remember if he, if he scored many more, but we didn't bring him on to be our number nine or goal scorer. We brought him on to be a midfielder. And I think he did really well. And I'm looking forward to seeing him really come into his own as we move into next season. Kelly, what are your feelings about Luis? Honestly, looking at my notes on him, I really don't have a ton. I did enjoy when he played. He didn't have a ton of appearances with Phoenix Rising. And there's so much competition in that midfield. You know, he was signed around the same time as David Loera. We won't be talking about him today. I don't think, you know, Loera was a loanee for us, I believe, but they kind of came to us around the same time and Loera ended up getting more minutes than did Sejas. Uh, we're still actually debating how to say Sejas' last name. So <laughs> <laughs> forgive us for saying it differently. <laughs> for me, you know, notable is the piggyback when he took Loera <laughs> off the field. And like I said, you know, he just had so much competition in that midfield, which is something I'd be really interested in hearing about from John kind of, you know, why did we pick him up? I was really interested to find out today when I was doing a little research on him that he's 35, which I made that sound old. Spoiler alert, I'm older than that. <laughs> but um, but you know, that's that's 
getting up there in terms of the professional game and knowing that he had, you know, we already had Rodriguez on our roster. We had Aiden Quinn at that point, we were still playing Vicaro in the, in the center midfield position. Um, and then we had Levine and then we picked up Loera. So, you know, sort of a lot of midfield options. I'm not sure exactly what it is that he was meant to bring to the team compared to those other players. I'm sorry. I didn't mention um, Lambert there, but he wasn't really competing for that holding midfielder role. But, you know, I guess his international experience is something that definitely perhaps we were looking to capitalize on, especially as we had our sights on the postseason. you know, he joined us in September. So that's a long-winded way of saying we didn't see too much from him, but he definitely seemed great when he was on the field. I hate to put you on the spot, John. Anything to add there? If you look at sort of the role he was playing late on in um, his South, or South, <laughs> South Korean, geez, mm-hmm. South American career, um, he sort of was a jack of all trades who could fill in at any of the attacking roles. Um, a decent winger, a decent sort of central attacking player could mm-hmm. fill in as a false nine. I think given that utility, given the age and the leadership and the just value of the experience he brings, he could be a good locker room presence for some of the younger players. Do I see him figuring in importantly in the rotation in the midfield? Probably not, but he can't hurt. He's someone with a good pedigree. Yeah. As long as you're not breaking the bank to keep him around, I don't see any harm as long as, yeah, you're not relying on him. So you gave me a, a nice segue to the next next player. You mentioned that Luis was like a jack of all trades, and so is Joey Vito Calistri. We saw him in defensive roles. We saw him in the midfield. We saw him as a forward. He started the MLS in 2016 with Chicago Fire, spent two years there, went to Tulsa Rednecks, uh, and then on to <laughs> St. Louis FC. I think it's Roughnecks, is it? <laughs> <laughs> What did I, what did yeah, I say? Yeah, we caught that. <laughs> Roughnecks, not Rednecks. <laughs> I wish Closer I just let that stand. <laughs> it's definitely Roughnecks. It's definitely Roughnecks. And I think a Roughneck is what they called their um, the guys who worked in the oil fields. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, exactly. So, so from being a Roughneck, he then went to St. Louis FC <laughs> before we picked him up uh, at Phoenix Rising. And he's just, he's been known as Clutch Kalistri. He can definitely find the back of the net. And um, I, I think we kind of owe him a lot of gratitude for filling in so well defensively when we needed him as well. So Kelly, Joey, Vito, Kalistri, what are your thoughts? I'm actually really still hung up on the redneck thing, um, but I'll try and move on. So yeah, he is fantastic. I'm delighted to have him with us. You know, it's just hard to know what to say about him because I do feel like he's often playing out of position when he's on the pitch with Phoenix Rising. And I think that's kind of unfair because if you're really skilled in multiple positions, you're not out of position. But that said, we we always want him to score goals. He's often brought in as a super sub. He's very capable of scoring off the bench, which I think is an actual talent and skill, you know, to be able to come into a game, uh, be cold and just be able to get right into it and join the pace of the game. That is his superpower for sure. We saw him playing a lot this year as in that right fullback spot. You know, he served in place of Darnell King when he was injured. Uh, I believe that's where we mostly saw him play. We saw him play a little bit in the midfield and then we did, did see him up front a little bit, which is where I prefer him. I prefer him. I think he's listed as a left winger. I think we saw him 
in the right wing spot more often than that. So anyway, all of that is to say he is wonderful. He is a jack of all trades. He is great in all positions. And yeah, it's that clutch. You know, he really earned that nickname. I guess he had a couple of goals against New Mexico. I think that was two years ago when, when we were down and when we needed him. And that's that's what we've come to expect from him. And it would be amazing if we could see him, you know, with a starting position uh, in the upcoming year. You know, I think having more minutes consistently in one place would be even better for sort of the value that he can bring to our team. John, have you noticed him shine in any one particular position that we've talked about? I tend to prefer him upfield in more of an attacking role just because I think I can doubt the defensive utility at times. That said, I think he's really capable as a fullback, especially in these games where so often you'll see Phoenix dominating the ball, keeping it in that opponent's or, uh, defensive third, and you need to have the most attacking talent you can to break them down. I mean, talk about a great option in that role. Clearly, really fits the bill. He's someone that is sort of a legend with the club, in my estimation. Like, you just love having him around, and you feel good about that presence that he brings. Yeah, well, absolutely. Said. So we've talked about thirteen players that have returned, and we've actually got fourteen. And that last one is Santi Moore. Delighted to have him back. We got him from New Mexico, um, but he, he's been around the USL a lot, uh, played on the East Coast before he moved to New Mexico. And then uh, this will, uh, did he have two seasons with us? I think he did. Yes. Yeah. So this will be his third season with us and we're absolutely delighted. So Kelly, talk to me about Santi Moore. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed, um, and you know, I really didn't parse through data in anticipation of this conversation. Maybe you can tell, but I did notice that we signed him through 2023 and I don't think I've seen that statistic for any other player. So I'm uh, very excited about that. And, you know, I also wasn't sure how long he played for New Mexico. It looks like maybe he only had one season for them, which was 2019. And he pretty much brutalized Phoenix Rising when he was here. You know, this is one of those things where you pick up a player because you'd rather not play against them. Um, and so it was awesome to see him join the roster when he did. He's been amazing. 32 appearances in the 2021 season, 16 goals and four assists. You know, this is one of those things where I'm interested to know who he pairs best with, if you will, like a fine wine, um, because he's had to put a lot of the goal scoring on his own shoulders. And, you know, we sort of bemoaned the absence of a very strong number nine presence. So I'm just curious to see, you know, who he pairs up with well. And I think that's something we'll be looking forward to signing for 2022. Um, but in terms of going it alone, he did amazingly with 16 goals. He was our top goal scorer for the season. And he also really came in such a short time to kind of stand for what Phoenix Rising stands for, you know, just goal scoring, aggression, and that constant pressure. I mean, he is one of the people that is most hungry for goals. You can always see his disappointment if he's taken off the field. If he doesn't score, he feels he's let the team down. So he really, he really represents Phoenix Rising at this point. It's been a short time for him um, to to kind of gain that stripe with us. So I absolutely love Santi Moore and I think the way they reintroduced 
his signing, you know, through social media video was hilarious and kind of speaks to how important he's become to the team. You know, just knowing that kind of pretending he was leaving was the best way to tug at our heartstrings. So delighted. My notes intersect with yours on that one, Kelly. You can, you can sense his, his disappointment when he's taking, taken off or when he doesn't score or even at the end of a game when we don't Mm -hmm. win you can see that he is just upset. Yeah. You often see the team stick around, shake hands. But, you know, if more than once I've seen Santi just just head for the locker rooms. He's just just very upset about it all. Um, your thoughts over there, John, on Santi Moore? Yeah, he, much like Quinn, was another player who I absolutely had to include in my best 11 for the year. If you look at the uh, goals above replacement number that I put out, he has rated as the best midfielder in the league this past season. And then that 2019 year you mentioned with New Mexico. Um, And statistically, again, um, there's obviously so much. If you just watch him play for about five minutes, you'll see how brilliant he is. But numerically, um, he really stepped up his game in terms of the passing and the creation this season in a way that you hadn't necessarily seen in some of his prior stops. So just rounding out his game in that way where he's become a dominant creator to go along with that shot threat is so fascinating. Just thinking about the pairing a little bit and maybe segueing into the forward discussion, he paired really well with Devin Sandoval uh, in New Mexico. Sandoval really is a big player, a target, uh, someone who can hold up possession and let players run off of him. So just something to keep in mind in terms of maximizing Moar to an even greater extent. Great. Great. Yeah. So that's who's signed with us. So that's what we know. Uh, other information is that John Beccaro is not coming back. We saw uh, something on Twitter posted from John Beccaro that he was having dinner with Santi Moore mm-hmm. in Spain. So uh, it's nice to think that our players can get some time off, go see their families and hang out together in the offseason. So no John Beccaro and no Zach Lubin. So Zach had surgery earlier on in the season. We were hoping to, to see him on the field in August or so. It never came to fruition. And now we've heard that he's not going to be back with us next season. So big disappointment. Big disappointment, Kelly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he talk about a legend with the club for sure. We absolutely love and enjoy him. He's an amazing goalkeeper. So, you know, just painful to see someone's last season with the team, they're, they're sidelined with injury the whole time. You know, that's just a disappointing way to let go of him. Um, But he contributed so much to the club. So yeah, we're definitely sad to see Zach Lubin go and there's no other word for him other than like you said, Kelly, absolute legend. Other players that were with us that uh, that we it remains to be seen as to whether we can negotiate them back or whether we'll see them at another club. With Lo- Noah Billingsley on loan from Minnesota United, Darren Maddox came in as our number nine. Prince Sadie, of course, Solomon Asante, Tate Schmidt, he was on loan from Real Salt Lake, Kev Lambert, uh, David Egbo, he was in. For in on, on loan from Vancouver Whitecaps and Kelly, you mentioned earlier, David Luera on loan from Orlando City and Andre Rawls, goalkeeper on loan from Colorado Rapids. So we, we just don't know what the story is with, with any of them. 
So let's let's take a look at what we might need in terms of defenders, midfielders, and forwards. And we've talked about that, yeah, we'll be looking for a goalie to help Lalo in the back there. But defensively, John, where are you seeing some gaps? Where do you think that we definitely need to um, check out some options defensively? It's got to be the fullback spots for me at this point. Obviously, King and Flood are both very capable players at this level. But as I was mentioning, I think that this team, more so than basically any other, just because of their system, really benefits from um, having the ability to rotate players at that spot just so you can give that full effort, get back yeah. and forth, up and down the pitch in a really full way. So that would be the area of focus in the defense for me. Great. And we we hope and pray that Kev Lambert will be back and Solomon Asante will be back with us. So fingers crossed on that. But our, our midfielders right now, we've got Levin Gutierrez, Rodriguez, Quinn, and Seijas. John, is that enough? I'm still looking for a sort of holding midfielder. And I mean, the Lambert question is huge for me. He is just, you can't say enough about what he brings to the table in terms of that defensive presence. I think there were times where this Phoenix team, more so than really any other method in which they gave up goals, they would get caught out in transition. And I think Lambert was a huge reason why that didn't happen more because he's just such an aware player. I spoke also about Quinn really uh, catching those second balls, helping to recycle possession. There's nowhere no one better in this league at that than Kavon Lambert. So if he's really out the door, you need that staid presence who can bring in a level of solidity and calmness to the midfield. And that's what I would be looking for first and foremost. Great. And then moving forward, let's say that we have Joey Calistri there as a forward. And we know that we do have Santi Moore um, in, in his uh, uh, taking care of the left side for us. So obviously there is a full forward and number nine. If we choose that position, we had Solomon, not Solomon. Sorry about that. We didn't have Solo as our number nine. We had Darren Maddox as our number nine. And I really liked him. Um, and I would be happy to see him come back. I'd be delighted to see him come back. But anyway, John, your thoughts on what we need in our in our offense. I'm thinking back to Datasov as sort of the model for what a Phoenix rising striker really ought to be and the current iteration of the system. And he's someone who really brings you a little bit of everything in that he can hold up the ball so well. He's got that physical presence, but he's a really smart mover at the same time. He can read the back shoulder of a defender, get in on the rebounds and provide a bit of an aerial threat as well. And there was just a lack of that at the late part of the season. Darren Maddox is fantastic. Um, I think he's a good poacher of the ball. He can bring you a little bit of creativity, but I think he didn't necessarily mesh as well with what this team needs. Again, just echoing the theme where they're in the final third for so much of a given match and you need someone who can be that anchor, can hold you in, really let you attack a team thoroughly. So I'd be looking for someone in that kind of mold going forward. Great. Kelly, some closing thoughts over to you. I'm delighted with who we have signed. Our roster is looking amazing. I definitely am interested in seeing a goalkeeper immediately. I really hope it's Andre Rawls. He really fit in with our system. He had an amazing season. He's also an awesome guy, friend of the podcast. And so that's, you know, something I'm, I'm going to be scouring the internet for is just an announcement of a goalkeeper for sure. And then same, you know, I want to hear about Kevin Lambert and Solomon Asante. Those are like 
huge re-signings that we need that are so important to the team, not just in terms of the presence and filling those spots on the team, but also just from like the heart of the team. Those are key players. So really hoping we announce them back to the team. And if not, uh, it, those will be really tough shoes to fill. So I have talked throughout <laughs> the second half of the season about the need for a strong number nine. So I'm really excited to see what Shantz comes up with. I know recruiting is something that Rick Shantz and the other coaches at Phoenix Rising and you know the front office are fantastic at. And our reputation is so helpful in achieving is drawing people to our team. So it's going to happen. I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast when it does. This has been a really fun conversation. Great. And yeah, we'll be building this roster right up until the kickoff of our first <laughs> game. And then I'm sure there'll be lots of changes made mid-season too. John, thank you so much for coming on and taking time to chat through the roster with us today. Of course, my pleasure. Had a lot of fun. Kelly, it's great talking football with you. Thanks for having me. Phoenix Raising family, stick around for our next segment. We've got lots more to come. Okay. 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 This is Phoenix Rising supporter, Sarah Beth. And Alex Greyer. And you're listening to... The Fan Experience. (laughs) Phoenix Rising family, you heard Kelly give her thoughts in the USL final game roundup earlier on. We're not done with that game yet as John Morrissey is with us to help us see the game from his perspective. John, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you on the show so many times this season. Talk us through your thoughts on that fantastic Rowdies and Orange County game. Hey, Niall, happy to be back once again, just to be talking about the championship game, summarizing one more round of the USL playoffs. Um, So just kind of walking through this one, I think early on, Tampa certainly was on the front foot, pinning Orange County back. You never got the sense that they were going to break through. And I thought that Orange County, much as they've done throughout this entire magical run, did a fantastic job of keeping their defensive shape. Obviously, it's been based around the 4-4-2 sort of look throughout. And this time you really saw Eric Calvillo in that sort of attacking midfielder number 10 spot, basically play up as a second forward in the press. He would put pressure on the center backs. He could drop back and crucially mark Lewis Hilton or Lawrence White. And they did a really good job of denying that center of the pitch. Um, And that helped them to support some of the wide pressure as well. So basically, you've got that center aspect that forces Tampa into the wide areas. And more so than in any other match, Orange County was pressing their wingers really high upfield, pushing their full full backs up in support as well, and just really uh, putting Tampa to the fire a little bit there. So when they did win the ball back, uh, Tampa, who tended to play their central midfielders higher up the pitch in order to try to keep possession, was really able to be caught out. And you saw that on the first big opportunity for um, Orange County when they really were able to break through and get Thomas the goal. And the second goal as well, you saw another opportunity that was driven with the wing turnover. I do want to take a step back before that and focus on that penalty save from Rakowski, though. I think that really turned the game around in a lot of ways where Tampa just kept on building the momentum. They were getting into good areas, getting the ball into the box. And that seemed like it was going to be the payoff that was going to change the face of things. But Rakowski keeps it even. Orange County can stick to this fairly successful strategy. And then it sees them off to this really magical 2-0 lead. And I think to the point I mentioned about the central midfielder staying high, that's 
pretty blatantly obvious on the uh, third goal, the chance that earned the free kick for that goal, rather, with uh, Iloski, Cavio getting really involved, playing past the central midfield. And so the second half, I mean, there are certainly some interesting tactical points. Tampa made a substitution that, as Devin Curry pointed out with the broadcast, led to five different personnel changes and really not an overhaul of the tactics, but you saw some more dynamism with uh, Dayon Harris on the right wing, Leo Fernandez and Jan Ekra getting involved more in the middle of the field. But uh, Tampa really just couldn't get those great chances that they were looking for. They got a little bit in those wide areas playing past the press. Hilton became a little bit more involved, but ultimately uh, Orange County was able to rely on that great center back pairing that they have in Orozco and Rob Kiernan. Um, another thing that I should have pointed out earlier was the way that their defensive midfielders, as always, just played as an excellent defensive pivot. And I think if there's one thing that defines this team, it's that level of organization that they have in the defense. I know I've hammered it home every time I've talked about this side, but they're just so rock solid. They understand where everyone's going to be. The late season acquisitions were just blended into the team so well. It's something impressive. But yeah, again, just late substitutions that you've seen every single match with Tomasino Voltson coming in. And he's got such a good technical ability, a good sense of tempo that lets them control games, choke them out. And again, that deep defending. And there you go. That's really how I saw it happening, where they came out more aggressive than normal. That is Orange County. They weathered the pressure and they ultimately got the goal. And Ruimaldo Damas, I need to shout out by name because his finishing, his pressure, every element of his game in this one was just rock solid. He took the opportunities and it sold them out to the victory. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more on that one, John. Ronaldo Damas was the star of the show. John, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for coming on. Phoenix Rising family, at the start of the show, I asked who a faithful Rising fan might root for in that USL final. Thinking back now, I'm somewhat thankful that Orange County took the cup. And it's for selfish reasons. Number one, it makes our Pacific Division look stronger. Number two, Orange County will attract attention and talent, which will give us more competitive games going forward. And number three, we know that we're a much better team than OC, so if they can win the cup this this year we know that it's ours for the taking next year and that makes next year's games and next year's cup even sweeter than it otherwise would have been Thanks again, Phoenix Rising family, for joining us this week. Thanks to our guests, John Morrissey from USL Tactics on Twitter and to Kelly McCarthy. Take me up on that idea of keeping this sense of community going throughout the off-season by subscribing to the podcast, by sending us your questions, thoughts and ideas. You can email them at thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Do follow us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC and the invitation is always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. I've got a great show planned for next week and until then, go rising! Go rising!